We just want to thank you today for your word. We thank you for the ministry of your spirit amongst us. And we ask by your spirit that you would take the word and that you would speak to us, God, in a way that we are comforted, we are encouraged, we are convicted, we are challenged, whatever you need to do in our hearts. Lord, we yield to you today. We yield to the ministry of your spirit. We yield to what you want to do in our hearts and our lives. We yield to your presence and your glory, God. And we ask, God, that our eyes would be open to see you in all your glory and in all your splendor. Amen? So I really want to just finish today this little three-week little thoughts about the glory of God. Because that is the heart of God for us, that we would experience his glory. If we think about what happened at the cross of Calvary, it says that when Jesus was there, that the veil in the temple was torn. Amen? So there was a veil that separated the holy place to the most most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was a, it was a special place. But you know what? What happened was that when, when Jesus gave himself as a living sacrifice, the veil in the temple was torn in two and that we have access to the throne of God, spiritually speaking. We don't have to hide at a distance. We don't need to hide. We don't need to run away. You know, as, as we've said on and off over the years, you know, if we're under a spirit of religion, when we feel like we've stuffed up, we run away. I stuffed up, I'm going to get in trouble, I need to go run and hide. But because of what Jesus has done for us, when we stuff up, we can actually run to the Father. How, how good is that? We run to the Father again and again and again. There's open access. But I really believe in my spirit wholeheartedly that most, most Christians and most believers don't fully understand that and don't fully enter into that. We still seem to stay at a distance because the realities of what we've seen throughout Scripture is true for us today. If we take people like Enoch, Enoch pleased God in such a way that he did not taste death, God took him. That was prior to Christ. David would worship around the, the Ark of the Covenant, open access worship before the sacrifice of Jesus. People were accessing things by faith, even under the old covenant, but how much more under the new for all of us? The last couple of weeks we've been looking at the glory of God and next week, as I've already said, we're going to look at prayer because we have to continue to go forward on our knees. We have to keep being dependent on God, looking to God, trusting God because He's the one that is doing it. Amen. But we're in a time right now and as I've been, this week as I've been praying, I hope I articulate this the way that I need to. But more than ever, you need to tie up loose ends now. It's not, an, it's not just an end of, a, end of a year thing where, oh, you know, we better just, you know, deal with some things and move into the union. No, no. Spiritually speaking, you have to tie up loose ends now. 
You cannot take the loose ends to where God is going to take us. You cannot take those things into the next season with God. And if you don't tie up the loose ends, you may, might, you may find yourself missing out on that new season in God. And my heart is I don't want anyone to miss out on the fullness of God's plans and purposes for their life. So that is why it's so important to tie up loose ends now. Not wait six months, not wait 12 months, not, 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 not wait to when you feel like it. Because sometimes you don't feel like it. How true is that? But I always say to people, isn't it? I, I think it's so funny that when we know we have to do something, even when we don't feel like it, we do it anyway. So tomorrow morning, there'll be some people here tomorrow morning that don't feel like going to work. That's a, sometimes you wake up and you go, I do not feel like going to work today. Has, has, has anyone ever felt that? Come on, let's be real for a minute, yeah? But what happens? You go to work. Unless you're a bit cheeky and you chuck a sickie, well, probably need to deal with that in another way, but anyway. But we go to work, don't we? People are relying upon us, people are depending upon us, and we go to work anyway. But yet when it comes to the things of God, we go, oh, I don't feel like it. And I go, my goodness. We treat God with such a disdain. We treat our bosses with more respect because I don't feel like it, but I'm going to turn up and I'm going to honour my boss. But I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do it. That is such a dishonour and a disrespect to God, the one who's given us life. I don't feel like forgiving Kathy. She's just sitting there. So I'm not going to do it. I don't feel like dealing with those issues that I need to deal with. And so we don't do it. I can't stress enough. Deal with all kinds of things. Deal with things that you know in your heart that are a hindrance and a blockage to you walking in the fullness of God. So it may not just be things like unforgiveness and, and relational issues and, and maybe people from the past that, that have hurt you and you need to forgive. Maybe it's not just doors you need to close and stuff, but maybe it's that you come under things like fear. When you go to step forward in God, fear comes and you tend to retreat. So it, it, it doesn't just have to be a relational thing. It can be a spiritual thing. It is whatever is hindering you from walking into the greater things that God has for you. Is there an amen to that? It's time to tie up your loose ends. You can't take them forward. You know what happens with a rope if you don't tie up the loose ends? It eventually starts to unravel. And, and lives unravel. And we go, God, why is my life unraveling? Because you haven't dealt with the things that needed to be dealt with some time ago. And we get to a point because of the stubbornness and pride in our heart where we just, just kind of think like it's all going to go away. And then one day things start to unravel and we go, how did I get here? I cannot stress. It is so important. To, to use the principle of Scripture, do not go to bed angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And what that means is, you know, keep a short account. Don't take something from yesterday or today into tomorrow. Keep a short account. 
Come before God. You know, go to that person. Whatever needs to happen, don't keep bringing it into the next day. Are we going all right? Whatever your loose ends is, if it's to do with relationships, if it's to do with your finance, if it's to do with an area of ministry, it is so important. Tie up loose ends. Because when I was praying into this, the Lord took me back to Isaiah 40. I, lo- I love these verses in Isaiah 40. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight a highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places are plain. Every valley will be lifted up. You've probably heard, heard me say this before. Areas of sin and resistance in your life that is less than. God wants to raise those valleys up. He wants to break those strongholds. He wants to come in and break those patterns and those, and those unhealthy cycles. God is a God that can do that. Amen? If we want that. I remember, and you've heard me say before, I had an alcoholic come to me once. He'd been an alcoholic for 30 years of his life. He was sick as a dog. I don't know why we actually say that. Why do we say that? Sick as a dog. I'm not really sure. Anyway, that's kind of what we say. Anyway, he was an alcoholic for 30 years. And he was brought to me for me to pray for him. And, and, and I didn't realize that. He was just sick. He just presented to me as sick. And God showed me that there was an undealt sin issue in his life that needed to be dealt with. And he came out and he said, yes, I've been a, a closet alcoholic for 30 years of my life. And I said, do you want to get rid of that tonight? And he said, yes, it's got to go. And when we prayed for him that night, He never, ever desired one more drop ever again. There was no struggle. There was no battle. There was no nothing. He just got set free that night, bang, just like that. But yet, I had another alcoholic presented to me once. And they said the same thing. Would you please pray for me? And I said, do you really want this gone? And I could tell there was a little bit of them that went, "Mm, not sure. You know, if you are not sure about something, you're not going to get your breakthrough. If you don't really want it, if there's 1% of you that's still holding on to that thing, you're going to struggle to get that breakthrough. He said to me, yes, but I thought, in my spirit, I thought, I don't think he's really meaning it. Anyway, I'm going to pray for you. So I prayed for him in the same way, dealt with the spirit of alcoholic addiction in his life, We actually even prayed that the taste of alcohol would be foul in his mouth. Saw him three days later and said, how have you been going? And he goes, I went back to the pub and got drunk again. And I said, tell me a little bit more. And he said, I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but we'll get there in a minute. He said, The strangest thing happened. I was up at the bar and I had my first beer and it tasted foul. (laughs) True story. But he persisted anyway. And I went, wow, he didn't really want it, did he? Every valley raised up. 
That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. Throw it off. Throw it off. And the sin that so easily entangles you, throw it off and run the race. You can't run the race properly if you're dragging stuff behind you. You can't run the race if you've still got loose ends that need to be tied up. You can't run the race. And God is saying to us, do we believe him that he's willing to prepare us for his glory? One person believes it. I said, do we believe that God wants to, wants to prepare us for a face-to-face encounter of his glory? Why does it just need to be in Brownsville? Why does it just need to be in Toronto? Why does it just need to be in Wales? Why, do, why does it just need to be in the 1900s? Why? It doesn't. God is wanting to prepare us for a face-to-face encounter with the glory of God. Who desires that? Who's hungry for that? Because it's not just about us getting, a, getting, a, getting an encounter. It's about seeing people's lives being touched by the presence and the glory of God. That every addiction will be broken. Every trauma, every hurt, every pain will be healed. Families will be reconciled. Limbs will grow. The deaf will hear. The lame will walk. The blind will see. People will get out of wheelchairs. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today and forever. I pray for those Christians that believe that that was then and that doesn't happen now. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's just looking for a hungry people that'll say, God, we want what you want. That's all we're saying. We, God, we want what you want. We already know that you want that. Well, here we are. So he says, every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. It's those areas of pride and resistance in our life, the stubbornness that God wants to remove and the rough ground will be made smooth. Who's felt the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit in their lives? There's your rough ground being smoothed out. And then it says, and the glory of the Lord will appear. It's funny, isn't it? We resist God wanting to deal with those issues in our lives, whether he's raising up valleys or bringing down mountains. We resist it. And yet, when it's removed, we will see the glory of our God. We yield to him. He is a good God. What is, what is your image of him? You know, I remember speaking to a lady once who went to a, a um, Catholic school. She was in a boarding school. And her image or her view of God was shaped by what she experienced in that Catholic school. I probably don't need to get into too much detail, but I will tell you this, her experience was not very good. The whips and the belts and the lashings and the tongue and the swearing and the shouting at, all this stuff turned her off God completely. That's not God. 
That is a bad experience with religion. He is a good father. And he gives good gifts to his children. And yes, he disciplines us for our own good. Yes, he says, Tim, will you deal with that issue? Tim, will you forgive that person? Tim, I'm just touching your heart right now because you need to make that right. He's a good father because he wants the best for my life. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. That is our destiny in Christ to prosper us, to give us a hope, to give us a future. Is there an amen to that? Not to harm us. That's who we are. We are the stumbling block. We are the one that's in the way of that being manifested in our life. We are the one, not someone else, not God. It's us. The building of the temple. Are we going to write today? The building of the temple. You know, God is a God of order. I don't know whether we realize that, but he's actually a God of order. Our body is, has an order. And in fact, cancer starts to appear in our body when a cell says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to become something else. That's how cancer starts in our body when a cell starts to do, do its own thing rather than the way that it was designed to work in function with the rest of the body. God's got to order. I'm not going to get into this because we will be here a long time if I did. But in 2, in two Chronicles 3, 4, 5, it's all the preparations for the temple. Now we're talking about a building here. We're talking about something that was bricks and mortar. And I'm going to shift that focus a little bit in a minute. But I want you to understand this. Because the Old Testament is a physical representation of the new, of the spiritual. Yes? We'll get to that in a minute. But God had an order. And so it said, so Solomon did, this is uh, 2 Chronicles 5, so all the work Solomon did for the Lord's temple was completed. And Solomon bought the consecrated things of his father David, the silver, the gold, and all the utensils, and put them in the temple. And it goes on. All the elders came forth. All the Levites came forth. All the sacrifices were made. Everything that was put in place was put in place. It was a step by step by step by step following the patterns and the principles of God so that everything was put into order. Now all the priests, verse 11, who, who were present, consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. Regardless of what tribe they came from. Regardless of where they came from, they, they all consecrated themselves. So on the back of all the order, on the back of everything being put into place, they freshly consecrated themselves to the service of God. Amen? And when the priests came out of the holy place, the Levitical singers were dressed in fine linen, they were, they were linen, they were carrying cymbals, harps and lyres, and there were 120 priests blowing trumpets. That would be pretty loud. Woo! 120 of them, we're going to have a couple tonight. I don't know what 120 would sound like. So they all came together. 
The trumpets and singers join together and they praise God and they thank the Lord with one voice. You see, that's what happens when you begin to consecrate yourself to God. You start to becoming one. Because it's not me and me, me, me versus you anymore. It's us. Because God is the focus. He is the one. We are praising Him. We are worshiping Him. And they sang, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Their temple, the Lord's temple, was filled with a cloud of glory. And because of the glory, the priests were not able to continue ministering for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I've always said I'm quite happy to stop speaking when the glory comes. I think we struggle with belief because you haven't seen it before. Hands up who's seen that. Hands up who's seen that. You've been in a meeting, a gathering like this, and the ministry's been happening, and the glory of the Lord just starts to come in, and all of a sudden there's just people prostrate. No one speaks, no one ministers. There's just a a weightiness in the room. And people are being touched by God. Some are literally groaning. Others are weeping. Others are rejoicing. I remember I was raised a good traditional Presbyterian boy. Went to Baptist Bible College was pastoring a little traditional Baptist church in Sheffield in Tasmania. At the age of 25, I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. And he said, son, I just want you to preach and I want you to pray. I thought, okay. And I remember there was one Sunday morning that I was preaching on prayer. And you've got to understand this, this has never happened there before. I was preaching on prayer, can't even remember what I was talking about. But I was preaching on prayer. And in the midst of that, the Spirit of God just started to move. And people just got up out of their seats. And they just come running down the front in a little country, traditional conservative Baptist church. And they all just started to prostrate themselves on the floor. And there was bodies lying on the floor everywhere. And something started to open up from that day on. Lives were being touched. Lives were being changed. Things started to happen. It was just a taste. Here I was, a young 25-year-old boy with a taste of heaven. And ever since that moment, and I've seen God do amazing things throughout the last 23 years. Yes, I'm 48 now. I've seen God do amazing things, just amazing things. But there's something to me said, God, you gave me a taste of that. You, look, God, you, you gave me a glimpse of it. There was no altar call. There was no manipulation. There was no man striving to do anything. It was the presence of God that was touching people. And I didn't even say you, you should come down the front. People just came running down the front. God, do it again. But not just once. Every day, 
every day. That's what happened in the book of Acts. It says every day the, the, the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Every day. Evangelism wasn't an event. It was a daily thing and God was doing it. His presence, His glory. Man, people were walking by that even the shadows were falling on people and they were getting healed. I want that. That's not arrogance. That's just, God's, that's just a response to God saying, well, God, that's what you want for us. Why not now? But I've realized through the years that stuff has to go. The sinfulness, the, pride, the pridefulness, the independent spirit, the orphan spirit, the religious spirit, all the stuff, it's got to go that we would be a vessel, a conduit for His presence and His glory because we don't just want to touch from God, we want to dwell in His glory. We want to dwell in the fullness of His presence and His glory. We don't want just a few revival meetings, we want a holy habitation of the presence and the glory of God. We want Bundaberg not to be called Bundaberg, but Abundanceburg, because there is an abundance of healing. There is an abundance of signs and wonders. There is abundance of salvation. There is an abundance. And I think, man, it is in the natural. We feed the nation. Well, let it be so in the spirit. I've still got couple of scriptures to get through. Hang on. Huh. We're not talking about bricks and mortar. We're talking about people here. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, for through him we both, that is Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile, both have access in one spirit to the Father. You have access. You have access. You have access. I encouraged Joe the other day. I hope she doesn't mind me sp sp saying this. Oh, she's gone. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. Because, you know, she's been praying and ministering to someone. And God is working through her to touch this person's life with the measures of healing. And she desperately wants other people to pray for this person. And the lady's going, no, no, God's actually working through you. I don't need someone else to pray for me. You just keep praying for me. And that's what happens. So often we go, we need this person or we need that person. We need this person. No, no, you just need someone. You need someone who says, God, here I am. I just want to be a conduit. That's our heart. That's our prayer to see the body start to come up, to see the body start to arise, to see the gifts of the Spirit start to minister through people, to see more lives touched. You see, because I'm only one person. I can only minister to so many people every week. But what happens if we all start to minister to someone? What happens if we all start to pray for someone? someone? You're going to see a multiplication. You have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Amen? So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, the body, is being put together and grows into a holy temple 
in Him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling place in the Spirit. To use a different analogy, we'd be a cradle for His glory. God is looking for a people to build them together with no more gaps and no loose ends that we would be a cradle for His glory. Oh. In Haggai, there needed to be a restoration of the temple. The temple had been demolished. There was a restoration or dilapidated. There was a rebuilding of the temple that needed to happen. And Haggai the prophet went to these people who were in apathy and complacency, self-centeredness, and they had a lack of faith. And this is what they were saying. The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The time has not come for me to deal with this stuff. The time has not come to consecrate myself. The time has not come to position myself for the more of God. The time has not yet come. I'm too busy with work. I'm, I'm too busy with life. I'm too busy with different situations. The time has not yet come. And yet God said the time has come. You just need to respond. So that's what happened. Come back, bit of paper. The people responded. Through the message of the prophet Hag Haggai, the people responded. They responded. The entire remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, ob obeyed the word of the Lord. And then the Lord said, I am with you. And I think that's what God's saying to us. I think that's what he's saying to us. He's looking for people that will go, yep, here we are. As we enter into 2023, we are leaving what we need to leave behind that we would enter into the more that God has for us. Is there an amen? Leaving the things of the past that would hinder you and keep you stuck there behind that you would enter in to the more that he has for you and for us indeed together. And, the, and God will say, I am with you. So without getting into the whole chapter, the whole, the whole two chapters of Haggai, this was a people that went from apathy, complacency, self-centeredness, to consecration, to rebuilding, to house the glory. And this is what he says. For the Lord of armies says, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and I'm going to shake the earth the sea and the dry land, I will shake all the nations that the treasure of the nations will come and I will fill this house with my glory, says the Lord. The final glory of this house will be greater than the glory of the first. Wow. If we took a bit of time to read 2 Corinthians we will see that we're in a time of greater glory. Because we're not talking about bricks and mortar, we're talking about people. We're talking about the spiritual things. 
Are you with me? I haven't lost you yet. Because it says, if the, this is 2 Corinthians 3, if the ministry that brought death chiseled on, in letters on stone, so that was the law that was given to Moses from God himself, the Ten Commandments, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' faith because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? If the Israelites couldn't look at Moses' face because of the glory that he was carrying from his encounter with God, they had to put a veil over his face because they couldn't see him. They couldn't look at him face to face. If that was so much glory, how much more is the glory of the Spirit? This is the latter house. This is the day. God is coming back for a bride that has made herself ready. Not a church that is going, oh, please, Lord, come now because we're struggling to survive. No, no, no. He's coming back for a church that is victorious. He's coming back for a church that says there are greater things that are happening. He's coming back for a church that said, come, Lord Jesus, come and look at everything that we've prepared for you. That's what he's coming back for. We need to get the end time theology out of our thinking where we're just going to struggle to survive. We're going to hold on by, by our fingernails. No, he's coming back for a church. Yes, it'll be, you know, a portion. Yes, it'll be a remnant. Yes, it'll be whatever it will be because the shaking is determining, is showing what's happening in our hearts. The COVID period, the lockdowns, the, 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 the stuff of the last three years has shown what's in our hearts. Is there fear lurking or do we trust God? The stuff, you know, people send me stuff all the time about political agendas with new world orders and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't want this to sound wrong, but I don't really care. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, be like educated, but, but hang on. My focus is on Jesus and the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what man may be trying to do in the world because I know God will have his way. And even if stuff comes our way, as I've said before, if God can provide fresh manna in the wilderness for his children every day when they were stubborn, rebellious people, how much more can our Father provide for us when we are saying, here we are? We need to get rid of the stinking thinking and let our faith rise up. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things. Liz, if she was here, the be your best days are ahead of you. Do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that for your life, that your best days are still ahead of you? But this is the issue, and I want to finish here today, I, I think. When, when you see God, when you encounter His glory... You do not want anything else. Nothing else satisfies. I'm not going to talk about sugar today, okay? It's amazing. Last, this week, I have had so many people talk to me about my little sentence about sugar and pavlova. It's unbelievable. And I, my response was, imagine if they listened to everything I said. <laughs> rather than just the sugar bit. So I'm not going to go there today, okay? I'm not going to talk about Pepsi Max, okay? 
Oh, just did. When you taste the glory of God, because that's what it was about. Whatever you feed yourself with, you'll desire more of. That's what I'm talking about. It wasn't about sugar. It wasn't about that stuff. It was spiritually speaking, whatever you feed yourself, you will desire more of. So how about we start feeding ourselves with the things of God because we're going to start to desire. I mean, Steve, I hope I'm not talking out of turn, brother. But then he went home and started watching some of the Brownsville stuff. And then he came back for the worship night and he was like, come on. Because he was experiencing it through the TV as well. We're the issue. Not God. He's already done it. He's opened the heavens. He's ripped the veil. He's done it all. Anyway, I'm trying to finish. Since, this is in 2 Corinthians 3. Since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. There it is. Because we have a great hope. That is the key. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you put off hope, you start to become depressed, discouraged. You start to move in that stuff. You need the hope. David had hope because he said, I am confident of this, that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He had hope. It wasn't the circumstances that were dictating to him. It was the hope that he had in Christ. Well, it was in God. Anyway, you know what I mean. For us, the hope that we will see, that we will know, because we have such a hope, we can act with great boldness. We can be expectant for what God is going to do. Is there an amen? We are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end. Their minds were hardened. For to this day at the reading of the Old Covenant, The same veil remains. It's not lifted because it is only set aside in Christ. And I want to say this. The enemy has been trying to blind people from the glory of the new covenant. The church is littered with people that are blinded to the glory of the new covenant because the the old is still being preached. The dry works, the dead works, the religious works, these things, people are being veiled because they don't understand it. I speak with people in Bundaberg all the time. There's been like a religious stronghold. People that have been going to church that, have, that love Jesus, but there's, there's no assurance of their salvation. If they sin today and die tomorrow, they think they might go to hell. I've ministered to Seventh-day Adventists. Sorry if this is going to offend anybody. I've ministered to brethren people. I've ministered to people who do not know the glory of the new covenant. So there's a veil. Their hearts are dull. Even though deep down their heart is, God, I want you. I know there's more. I do know there's more. There's something in me that says more, but there's all this stuff in my way. And Jesus said, I have done it. It is finished. He said, it is finished. Do you hear me? It is finished. 
Rip the veil off. Rip it off. Still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, there's your repentance. Turns to the Lord. The veil is removed. It's removed. I think maybe we need to repent of trying to live life by our own efforts and our own strength. I think we need to repent of such things and say, God, I want to live by your Spirit. Trev's favorite verse. Now the Lord is the Spirit, Trev. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's what? I can't hear you. There's what? I still can't hear you. What's going on? Oh, freedom. Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And remember, it's not freedom to just live for ourselves and do our own thing. No, no, no. It's freedom from the penalty of sin and law and all that stuff. It's freedom. We can live to live as Christ and to die as gain. Whilst I go on living in this body, I'm going to live for Christ. And in the midst of living for Christ, if I happen to die, there's greater glory that is coming. Is there an amen? So it says this, we all with unveiled faces, this is the last verse, we're getting there. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. Are you, is your face unveiled? Are you looking at the glory of the Lord? Because if you are, the word God says, that you will be transformed into the same image from glory to glory to glory. That's it, isn't it? I think that's how we know sometimes where our life is really with Christ. This is only about you and him now. This is how we know where our walk in Christ, our, where our walk with Christ is. Because if we are beholding him, we will be transformed into his image. From one degree of glory to another, to another, to another. That's the reality check. If you feel like you're still going around that same mountain, then maybe it's time to yield to him and say, God, I want to be born again again. <laughs> I want to be born again again. Because I don't want to go around that mountain anymore. I want the reality of the birth of the new covenant to be evident in my life. Will you stand? The music team, do you want to come forward? The rest of you can, would you stand with me?
God, I want to thank you today. I want to thank you that you are speaking to us. I want to thank you, God, that you are making a way in the desert. You're making a way in the wilderness. You're making a way. I want to thank you, God, that you are speaking to us. God, as we come to you today, God, that every veil would be removed. The veil over our thinking, the veil over our minds, the veil over our hearts. God, where religion or man and different teachings have put, been put into place and we just think we're not good enough. God doesn't love us. We're not going to measure up to that. Things are not going to change. Things are never going to change. Lord, all this stuff, God, that's been put upon people here today, God, that you would start to remove it in people's lives, that we would start to see these things removed in people's lives, removed because, God, you are the way maker. You are the way maker. You said straight paths, straight paths, no more going around in circles. God, I ask by your spirit that you you would touch people, God, that you would deliver people, that you would break strongholds in people's lives, that the chains that need to be broken will be broken in Jesus' name, because you are not just the way maker, you are the chain breaker. And today I declare the anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing of God, the Spirit of God breaks the yoke in your life, breaks the yoke in your circumstances. It's the Spirit of God that is doing the work in you. And so I encourage you, God, Oh, before the Lord, that you would just yield to him. Just give him any un, un, untied ends. Give them to him. Tie up your loose ends. Tie up your loose ends. And start to say, God, I want more of you. More, God. More. You know, that's where Brownsville Revival started. More, Lord. More. Would you dare start to pray that prayer? More, Lord. More. Will you pray that prayer? Even now? Just start to say it. More. More, Lord. More. More. That's, that's, that's what changed our journey. When Bonnie and I got married, we looked at each other and said, there has to be more to it than this. It was that one prayer. That's what started it. If you feel like that's a silly prayer to pray, then kick that thought out of your mind. Because that's just the enemy trying to stop you. Saying, God, I need you more. God, I want more. There is more. What, what happens if we all just start saying more? Don't stop. 